Have you ever been stuck and you don't know what you need to do to get moving forward again? Um, we just came through the uh, number of snowstorms over the last uh, few weeks, almost as if you could say from about the 15th of January on, if you were to, you know, if, ask your phone or uh, Alexa, hey, what's the weather today? Snow, you live in Rochester, would have been the response, right? That feels like what it was happening. And uh, I hope you didn't get stuck in any of that. Everybody managed okay and, and was, were able to dig out fine. But if you were stuck, what would be some ways you'd try to get unstuck? What would you do? If a friend was stuck and they were, their car was stuck in the snow, what, what would you do? What would you tell them? This is what you have to do to get unstuck and get moving again. I grew up in uh, northern Ontario in Canada. It wasn't quite the end of the world, but if you hang a left, you got a great view if you drive another 10 minutes. And we got snow. We got so much snow that uh, sometimes the car couldn't make it out of the driveway. And we needed family members to come with plows. And even sometimes then, they couldn't get us out. And we would be rocking the car back and forth in the snow to try and get us moving. We were, it was difficult. However, all of that experience has taught us that this is what you do when you get stuck in snow. This is how you need to slow down when it's snowing on the roads. This is how you overcome. This is how you adapt and how you improvise when there's bad weather. So we do know what to do when we get stuck in weather in things like snow. But what about when we get stuck in life? It's one thing to get stuck in a snowstorm. It's one thing to get stuck in a snowdrift. It's one thing to get stuck from too much snow at your driveway. But what about when you get stuck in life? How do you move forward? How do you get going again? Welcome to Mindset a series from the book of Colossians, a deep dive that's going to train us to set our minds on things above. Because when we set our mind, where we set our minds determines and can determine where we end up in life. And it can also determine the quality of life that we have along the way. If you've ever felt stuck in your life, then this series is for you. If you've ever known someone who has been stuck in their lives, then this series is for them. And let me encourage you to be inviting them to join us each and every Sunday, whether that's in person or online, or sending them the podcast link or the sermon links from our website uh, all through the series, if you think it's going to be a help to others. Because I have a theory that everyone has been stuck in their life at some point in their life. How do I know that, you may ask? That is a great question. Thank you for asking that. One thing, statistics back it up. Have you felt stuck over the last two years for any small reason? I don't know. Say a pandemic. You're not alone if you have. As a matter of fact, 30% of adults in the U.S. report feelings of mental health challenges, of mental health struggles. Before the pandemic, it was 11%. In the last two years, it has jumped to 30%. That's one in three-ish, one in four specifically, who are experiencing challenges because of the pandemic. How about um, work? Have you ever felt stuck in your job? If you have, you're not alone. A study of 5,000 people showed that 83% of those who responded felt emotionally drained from work and 71% strongly agreed that the workplace affects their mental health. One in four employees experienced extreme dangerous signs of burnout, like feeling reduced professional usefulness. In other words, my job doesn't matter. What I'm doing doesn't matter. This is a complete waste of time for everyone. And 
total cynicism towards co-workers and their jobs. Have you ever felt stuck in a relationship? Stuck in dealing with a family member? Stuck in dealing with your kids? Stuck in dealing with some friends? Stuck in dealing with some neighbors? Stuck in your marriage? You're not alone. 46% of people have recently reported that they feel like they've lost control and happiness over their personal lives. And 39% feel like they've lost control of their relationships. 27% of people surveyed out of these uh, 5,000 feel like they were trapped in routines. And 26% feel more lonely than they've ever felt before. Can I just put those numbers into context? Because that's a lot of percentages. If you have a family of four, one of your family of four is feeling like they're stuck in their relationships. If you look around this room, that means a number of you feel like, I'm stuck in relationships. I'm stuck in jobs. I'm stuck because of what's happening in culture, and I cannot move forward. Do you know what that means? That means that it's not a matter of if I get stuck. The question is, what will you do when you get stuck? That's what this series is going to help you answer, is to develop a mindset on having it set on things above. Now, let me just start off by giving you the solution. Let me start off by giving you the solution that will help you get unstuck. As we are about to see, getting unstuck centralizes on serving in ministry. It's living such a gospel-centered life where you are saying, I am going to serve the Lord, not just on Sunday, but every day. I am going to serve. I am going to step up in ministry. I am going to make my whole life about ministry. I'm not just going to let the full-time ministers, those who are paid to do it, to be the ones who are in full-time ministry. I'm going to step up and I'm going to have the mindset of, I'm a full-time minister. That's why I'm here on earth. That's the mindset that we are to develop. Serving gets you unstuck. Serving gets you unstuck. But let's be honest. Can we just, you know, real talk for a second? You've heard that before, right? And you've heard that from here. You've heard that from other churches that you were a part of that maybe you grew up in. You've heard it from other messages where pastors like me say, you need to serve. And if you're a cynic, if you're a skeptic, then you're thinking, of course you're going to say that because you want volunteers. You want people to step up and serve. And, full disclosure, yes, that's exactly what I'd like. I'd like to have so many volunteers, I don't know what to do with them. Uh, churches all around the world, the one thing that every church has in common over this uh, period of time uh, in their life and ministry is that people have stepped back from volunteering. I would love to have more people volunteering. We'd love to have a full contemporary worship team on the stage. We'd love to have a rotation of tech people. We'd love to have more people saying, I want to get involved in kids. I want to get involved in hospitality and greeting and connections and serving coffee. I want to make sure that the, the lot is shoveled and the walkways are shoveled. I want to make sure that, that we've got something for our youth. I want to make sure that we've got enough groups for everybody who needs to get into groups and everybody needs to get into groups. And I want to be on the team to promote missions and I want to promote stewardship and I want to help serve and make sure the building is beautiful for when people come and worship. I want to make sure that it's utilized well and cared for well. I want to make sure that people are cared for well. And so I want to join the prayer team and I want to join the uh, visitation team. I want, to, I want to have all these volunteers. But if that's your idea of what it means to be in full-time ministry, can I just suggest that that's way too small? That's far too small of an idea of what? A gospel-centered life is. Because this isn't about just serving your church. 
I'm talking about the kind of mindset that says, like Joshua did, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You remember that story? It was at the end of Joshua's leadership of the people taking them into the promised land. They gathered up for a party. All the land had been divided up among the 12 tribes. And he said, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In other words, even though his time of military and nation leadership was over, he was not done serving. That's the mindset that I want for you to have. That's the mindset that God wants for you to have, which we will see in just a second. And it's not because I want something from you. It's not because God wants something from you, like God needs us to do anything. I don't want something from you. God doesn't want something from you. I want something for you. God wants something for you that only living a life that is a gospel-centered life, being a full-time minister regardless of title and regardless of job and saying, I will give not just one day, not just one morning, not just Sunday, but I will give every day, every moment to serve the mission of Jesus. That's the mindset that we need to have that gets us unstuck. And so you may ask, how does that work? Let me show you. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me in them to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 3. Paul and Timothy are writing to this church that they've never been to. They didn't plant And they didn't start, but they want to get this church in Colossae so excited about developing a mindset that is a gospel-centered life, a gospel-surrendered life. They say this in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. Now let me pause for just a second there. They have love for God and love for each other in the church. That's the situation that is in Colossae. And then he continues... In the same way, this gospel, the gospel, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit for this reason. Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. That's what Paul wanted for the Colossian believers. That's what God wants for us as believers, is to live a life that he looks at and says, now that's a life I'm proud of. That's a life that honors me. If you want to know what a life looks like that honors me, see that person right there. You become the dictionary definition of what it means to live a life that pleases God. And that life is centered around a gospel centered lifestyle. Everything that we do, everything that we offer is based on faith in Jesus Christ and the love that God has for all people and wanting to share that and help others experience that and submitting all else under that foundation, building all other things 
on that foundation. That's what Paul wants for this church. That's what God wants for you and me. He wants us to ask him for help in living a gospel-centered life. So the question is, why? Why should we ask God for help to live a gospel-centered life? Well, let's go all the way back to verse 9 and we'll continue to read. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins." Why should we ask God to help us live gospel-centered lives? Paul shares four benefits, four things that come when we decide, when we set our mind to living a gospel-centered life. The first thing he says, well, if you want to change the world, live a gospel-centered life. Because living a gospel-centered life changes your world because it affects the people around you. Check it out. It says that we will live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way by bearing fruit in every good work. Living gospel-centered lives produces real change in our real world. Now, what this is talking about is um, not just work you do at church, but everything that you do, every conversation you have, every family interaction, every neighbor interaction, every contract at work, every sale that you make can be gospel-focused. Being spiritual in every good work is referring to the difference that your life makes in the lives of others when you serve in Jesus' name. This is what full-time ministry actually is. It's not a paid position on staff in a church or in a Christian parachurch organization. Everyone who says they are a follower of Jesus is now a full-time minister for Jesus. Because everyone is given a ministry to do and everyone is given a witness to share. So when you serve Jesus and you share Jesus, Jesus starts to change the world through you. I've seen this firsthand. You've probably seen this firsthand. Uh, my most recent experience that came to my mind was the opportunity of serving with Crosstalk Global. I gave up some time uh, right after Christmas. You know, Christmas is kind of a slow time for church pastors. Gave up some free time following that and flew to Salina, Kansas, where I had a chance to work with a group of students, a group of pastors who want to learn how to be better biblical communicators. And some of the conversations that we had, not just about preaching and biblical communication, but about life and life and ministry, they started to share, this has been so impactful. When you shared this in your message, when you shared this, this made a difference because this spoke to me in my current context. This is an encouragement to me. You didn't know that you know, XYZ was happening to me, but what you said has made a definite encouragement and given me a direction that I need to take in my ministry. We hear stories like that time and time again of how we are helping people personally and pastorally, even though we're simply teaching them how to be a better biblical communicator. And oftentimes, the thing that they need to do, the thing that they need to make right, or the thing that they need to do better, has nothing to do with what we're teaching them at all. That's the amazing part of ministry. 
That's what can happen for you and I when we decide, I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach my kids how to read the Bible. I'm going to be responsible to make sure that they know how to read the Bible. You gain those conversations around the, the kitchen sink when the dishes are being done, when your, your daughter suddenly comes and says, Mom, I've got a question for you. Dad, I know that you might have some insight on this. Can you give me some insight? And you've earned the right to be heard because you have had a gospel-centered life. You have a reputation that says, I can come to you with questions. Who doesn't want that for their family? Who doesn't want that in their job? Who doesn't want that in their neighborhood? Anyone can do this. It does not have to be a paid professional. Become the professional at having a gospel-centered life. Now, you may say, I don't ha really have a big ministry. I, I don't have a, a great spiritual gift. I don't know where I would start or what I would do. But didn't we just sing that it's not I? but it's Christ through us. It's Christ working in our weakness. There is no ministry gift that God gives local churches and, and Christians in the local church where we get to say, well, you're, you're just that, so therefore we don't need you. Your ministry gift is important. There is no ministry that's too small. There's no gift that's too small. There's no calling that's too small because when we do it in Jesus' name, Jesus does big things through our small witness. Living gospel-centered lives will change your world. And one of the ways that it changes your world is that it changes your understanding of what's happening in the world. Let me show you. God wants us to ask Him for help in living a gospel-centered life so that we please Him in every way, growing in the knowledge of God. Living gospel-centered lives not only produces change in the world, but it helps us know God personally. It allows us to know God personally. The God of the Bible becomes the God of our lives. We begin to see what is in Scripture begin to be reflected in what we see in the world. We see God's character. We see His motivations. We see His power. And when you serve the Lord daily, that's when you get to see the Lord daily. One of my earliest jobs was working for Purolator Courier. It was a Canada-only FedEx type company where we ship packages overnight or two-day shipping, all of that. Uh, I remember when I got the job, I was told that I would need to take, uh, for this desk clerk position, I would need to take a week of training down at corporate. Uh, corporate was about 30, to 30 minutes to 60 minutes away, and in the greater Toronto area traffic, that could be 30 minutes to two and a half hours. I didn't want to give up that week. 8.30 to 5 every day of just things about culture and things about, you know, procedures. Who wants, I'll just, let's just learn it on the fly. We'll just, you know, put me behind the desk and we'll figure it out as we go. I don't need to know any of this. But I went, and I'm glad I went. One, because my job depended on it. But two, um, I was so surprised when our first teacher, the person who was going to be teaching us for the week, says, hey, we've got a special guest who's joining us today. This is Mr. So-and-so. He is the president of the company. This is a national organization with offices in every major city in Canada. And here is the president who sits down, shares a little bit of his story, why he's part of Pure Later, but then he wants to know our story. Why did we take the job? And some people were honest and said, well, I just need money. <laughs> That's an honest answer. I appreciate that. And he talked about us. He talked about the stores that we were in and the visions that they had for each of the different locations. He knew them. And he showed interest in us. He spent more than an hour with us when he could have spent his time in a completely different way. He could have sent a letter. He could have sent an email. He could have done anything. He could have made a video and said, we're so glad to have you on the team. I'm out of here. I'm off golfing, right? Right? 
But instead, he shows up in person and shares his heart, his vision, his motivation. And the amazing thing was that some people who were getting trained uh, had some things that they were concerned about in their store. He was taking notes as they shared those things. And he said, let me see what I can do about that. He wanted to help. Your heavenly father is the exact same way that when we serve, we see. We see God. We get to meet with God. We get to experience his power, his motivation, and we see his heart. We see his interests. He wants to help and solve the situations that we're in. He wants to be a part of the world that we're in. But sometimes we try to rush and do everything in our own strength rather than having this gospel-centered life. And when we decide, you know what, everything I'm experiencing can be used for the gospel to advance the person and mission of Jesus, to advance his kingdom, and I want to leverage every opportunity I can. When we start to serve like that, we start to experience and know God personally where the God of the Bible just leaps into our lives and we experience it firsthand. I think the trouble and one of the challenges that many Christians have is that they know a lot about God but they don't know God. And you can know a lot about a lot of things. You can go to Wikipedia and read about God. You can grab a theology book. You can grab some books next week at the Great Library Giveaway. And you can learn all about God. But you know what you've done? All you've done is stay outside his home, go through his trash, look at his receipts, see what he's bought, see what he's interested in, see what he's eating, and you call that a close relationship. No, I call that spiritual stalking. Have a relationship. Get to know him. God wants to reveal himself. And the best way to do that, to see and experience him firsthand, is by serving. So, when we have a gospel-centered life, we see our world changed. And when we have a gospel-centered life, we experience God personally in ways that we would never experience otherwise. But there are some times that you live a gospel-centered life and you don't see those results, right? It feels like my world isn't changing, my relationships aren't getting better, my, my family's not getting better, my work's not getting better, or my life's not getting better. I'm not experiencing God like you say I should. Well, there is a third benefit to asking God to help you live a gospel-centered life. And we see it here. The third benefit is that not only do we bear fruit in every good work, not only do we grow in the knowledge of God, but we please Him by being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. See, sometimes God acts in a way that we don't expect or we don't get the results that we're looking for as we live a gospel-centered life. But because we have served and have seen in the past that this is what God does, and we have served and has seen personally that this is what God is like and these are what His motivations are, those build your own personal experience that you can trust Him when He doesn't do what you want Him to do. You can trust Him. You know that God hasn't abandoned you or that your faith isn't worthless and it's not working anymore. You know that God keeps his promises, not just from scripture, but personally, because he has delivered in the past. Maybe he won't deliver in the way that you expect right now, but he will deliver at some point in the future. That's the kind of God that we have. And that gives you incredible strength to face the circumstances that you're in, to live that gospel-centered life that he wants us to live with great patience and endurance. How many of you have ever heard of a Hershey's bar? I thought of um, bringing a Hershey's bar, but then I remembered, no, it's going to be like a half an hour before lunch, and that's just rude, and I don't want to share so I decided just to talk about Hershey Bar and you guys will all be fine and not hungry at all. Um, the story of the creator of the Hershey Bar is actually really fascinating because Milton Hershey was by no means an overnight success story, nor did he 
achieve everything that he did without incredible hardship. I didn't know this, but he actually failed creating two candy companies before he created Hershey's. You see, he had an idea of what he wanted to do, but twice, two companies that he created to sell candies and confectionaries to people, both went out of business, both went bankrupt. So what kept him going? It was his love for candy and the training that he had received, uh, being mentored and being taught how to do this, he wanted to sell a particular product to the American public. You see, milk chocolate was a luxury. It was not available to people unless you had oodles of cash. And he devised a way through trial and error to be able to lower the costs associated with creating milk chocolate. And at that point, everyone was able to get their hands on milk chocolate. Not just the rich and powerful, but it became something commonplace for the common person. Through trial and error, he created his own formula for milk chocolate. And that led to the Hershey Bar in 1900, Hershey's Kisses in 1907, and Hershey Bars with Almonds that were introduced in 1908. Well, two out of three isn't bad. That's what God wants to do with the situations that you're in where it feels like he's not showing up in a way that you expect him to. He's not responding to give you your ideal outcome that you want. What you know he is doing is he's allowing you to experience some trial and error to have a better outcome later in life. Just because you don't know what God is doing in that moment does not mean that God will never reveal that to you. And it certainly doesn't mean that God is ever done with you. He still has a plan for you. Even when you don't know what is it you're trying to accomplish in this moment, God. And here's the amazing thing about this. That means that if you've ever made terrible choices or you are in deep, deep, difficult circumstances, God is not done with you, and God can still use you. Do you remember Peter? Last week, we concluded our series uh, called The Son of God from the Gospel of Mark. Do you remember Peter? Jesus comes back on the resurrection and says, okay, guys, let's meet in Galilee because I'm not gone. The mission's not gone. I'm not dead. The mission's not dead. I'm alive. The mission is alive. Make sure you tell Peter to come to Galilee. And this was the same guy who just betrayed Jesus three times. That's amazing. And he offers the same to us that we can continue to have a gospel-centered life no matter what life we're coming from whether it's our sinful decisions that cause the circumstances that we're in or the decisions, the sinful decisions of others. So this teaches us as we live a gospel-centered life that our God is faithful. It develops spiritual stamina. Spiritual stamina, patience, and endurance. We should ask God to help us live a... Um, gospel-centered life because it changes our world. We should ask God for help to live a gospel-centered life because it shows who He is in a personal way. It reveals God to us. It allows us to see and experience Him personally. And we should ask God to help us live a gospel-centered life because it develops spiritual stamina, strength, patience, and endurance to keep going when it feels like it's not worth continuing to trust. But in that moment, that can be hard, right? In that moment when you're in that struggling situation, that sinful situation, when there's sin in the lives of others that's affecting you deeply, and you're wondering, God, are you going to be faithful? Do you know what living a gospel-centered life does for you? It offers real joy. This is what Paul says. Ask God for help to live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. 
For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Live a gospel-centered life. Living a gospel-centered life changes your world. It allows you to experience God personally. It develops your spiritual stamina. And it gives you real joy. Because if you're wondering, God, I know I can trust you, but I'm struggling because I'm in this moment. I want to say, God, what have you done for me lately? It's in that moment that we need to remember. And that a gospel-centered life reminds us to think of the big picture. And the big picture is at the cross. The big picture is that before you decided to live a gospel-centered life, before you decided that Jesus was worth following, that Jesus was worth trusting, before all of that, God loved you. Before all of that, when you were an enemy of God, when you were opposed to God, when you stood in his face and said, I don't think you're a good enough God for my life. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to make my own decisions. I don't think I can trust you. God loved you. There is nothing that you can do that would stop God from loving you. That's the big picture of the gospel. The gospel, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the good news. That proves his love. You have been rescued. Rescued from a kingdom of darkness. Brought into the the kingdom of the son he loves. And through Jesus we have redemption. Hear me well church. It does not matter what you have done in the past. What sins you have committed in the past. What betrayal you have committed in the past. Your sins are are forgiven. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And in those moments when we wonder, can we trust that God is faithful? We need to look back at the big picture and remember with great joy how much he loves us. Every once in a while, I'm perusing social media probably too much these days and um, I find that there are little things that pop up hey do you remember this you did this back in the day here's a photo that you took way back when here's something that you posted and some of the things you're like "Ooh, no you don't need to remind me of that at all thank you very much but there's some there's photos that come up where you're like oh yeah I remember that moment I remember that time I remember doing that thing I had forgotten all about it but there it is it's nice when social media reminds us of those things As a matter of fact, I'm old enough to remember these things called photo albums. Kids, write that down. It's A-L-B-U-M-S. What your parents did was they would take those digital photos that you see on your phone and you can swipe, and they would make physical photos, and you weren't allowed to swipe those. They put them behind these plastic clear pages in a book that was called an album. A photo album, if you will. Everyone say, ooh. Everyone say, ah. And then every once in a while, they would break them out at a large family gathering, and they'd say, look at little Junior here when they were naked in the tub. (laughs) (laughs) And you'd have all these fun memories that would embarrass you and so on. Those are the kinds of things that remind us of what really matters to us. I'm convinced God has a photo album. It's probably better than our digital pictures. It's probably better than uh, a photo album itself. But I'm convinced he has one. And I think he has meaningful moments in history where he said, look at this person, look at them obeying, look at them bringing me great joy, look at them, I'm proud of them. Remember that? That dictionary definition that we talked about? I think one of those moments is the cross. And nothing will be greater than that photo of that day that Jesus saved everyone and paved the way for anyone to have a relationship with him. But you can be in that photo album too as you live a gospel-centered life. 
So as God is looking back through history, and imagine if you will, um, this, this isn't heretical in any way, just use some sanctified Im- imagination that God is flipping through a photo album and he sees something that you did for him. Where you took that one moment and said, I know I could make life all about me, but I'm not going to. I'm going to make my life all about Jesus, and I'm going to talk about how to do that in my work. I'm going to talk about how to do that in my family, and I'm going to set those priorities. I'm going to make time. I'm going to pay. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to do all those things. I'm going to serve every opportunity I can with the gifts that I have, because life is all about Jesus. That's a gospel-centered life. And imagine bringing a smile to the face of your heavenly father as he looks at that moment. I'm not talking that you can't be negative about things. I'm not talking about, you know, this joy that we have that we can never feel like like you always have to be happy. I'm not promoting toxic positivity where you always have to smile all the time no matter what's going on in your life. There are times to mourn. There are times to grieve. There are times when we pour out our hearts. There's times when Jesus, with great drops of blood, experienced great anguish before he went to the cross. It's not wrong to have those feelings, but gospel-centered living doesn't stay in those feelings because it remembers the big picture. As a matter of fact, why don't we take some time before we close today And remember, let's remember with great joy the love that God has demonstrated for us. He loves us so much, and the death and resurrection of Jesus is the proof. His broken body, His shed blood, which is represented from the crackers and the juice that we have. I'm going to ask Will and Josiah to come, our elders to help distribute the elements of communion. Krista, come on up. We'll sing as that happens. If you're participating online, uh, we'd love to have you join us in celebrating communion together. Why don't you uh, uh, grab some communion elements if you uh, don't have any handy right now, or if you don't have them right next to you, then make sure just go grab some uh, crackers or bread or some juice and some water and sing along with us. Leave the stream going, and uh, we're going to sing just a great song of what Jesus has done. Be reminded of his great love for us, and then we'll take communion together, and then we'll finish off the sermon. stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the
Shall we pray together? Lord Jesus, your great love for us was demonstrated in this, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. Your broken body, your shed blood to pay the price for my sins, for our sin, for all sin. That's how much you love us. And with joy and thanksgiving, we bow our heads and say thank you. And we remember you as we take the elements of the cracker and the juice together, reminding us of your great love. Thank you. With joy, we remember you. Amen. Living gospel-centered lives produces real change in your real world, helps you become aware of who God is personally, gives you spiritual stamina to stand no matter what you're facing, and is a deep, deep joy in your life, regardless of what you're facing. Let's not separate paid full-time ministers from congregants and Christians. We are all in full-time ministry, and God invites all of us to adopt that gospel-centered mindset where we serve Jesus and we share Jesus in every arena of our lives. Let's live gospel-centered lives that please God in every way. Let's ask Him for help to do that by using every way that we live as a gospel opportunity. Before we close in prayer, I want to invite you to take out your phone. I know that's risky, <laughs> but I want to invite you to take out your phone. If you have your calendar of events, your to-do list of things that are coming up this week, do you have that on your phone? you don't have that on your phone, if you kind of know that, you may want to just think through what is coming up for you this week. It might be, I've got to go to work tomorrow. I've uh, got an appointment. I've got school. I've got whatever it might be. Um, think through your week. Take a look at your calendar and think through your week. And now I want you to ask yourself this question. How could these things, these appointments, these regular routines of your day, these special things that you'll be doing throughout your day, throughout your week, how can these things be used for Jesus? How can I serve Jesus in that calendar appointment? How can I share Jesus in that calendar appointment? And what I want you to do, if something comes up, what I want you to do is just jot that down in the calendar notes. If something comes to your mind, take out a pen and a piece of paper and just jot down, you know what, when I'm at, when I'm at this appointment today or when I'm at work today, I'm going to try and have this conversation. I'm going to see if there's a spiritual opportunity in this. I'm going to, whatever it is that you're going to do, write it down so it becomes part of your calendar of events for this week. If you don't have your calendar with you and you don't have your calendar on your phone, it's okay. But can I strongly encourage you that this afternoon you take some time to look at your weekly plan and ask yourself how could you use your plans for Jesus? When you develop that mindset, you begin to live a gospel-centered life. And if we've learned anything, living a gospel-centered life has more benefits than we could possibly imagine. Let's make every day like it's Sunday. Let's make every day the Lord's day. Let's pray as we close. Would you stand with me? Jesus, we are so thankful 
for how you invite us to live gospel-centered lives. You invite all of us, regardless of skill, regardless of position, into full-time ministry because it's there that we get to experience incredible benefits. As we live gospel-centered lives, our worlds are changed. Our relationships are changed. Our workplaces change. Our neighborhoods change. Our cities change. We become aware of you, of your character, in a personal way. The truth we know about you, we get to see as we serve. We develop great endurance, stamina for the days when we're not sure and life is hard. And we gain great joy because all ministry is for Jesus and we know of his great love for us that we have just celebrated at the Lord's table. So Lord, would you help us to look at every part of our lives, our calendar of events, our to-do lists, and simply ask the question, how can I use this to serve Jesus? Would you help us to develop the mindset of a gospel-centered life? Would you help us to make every day the Lord's day, your day, where we live for you? We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.